glorify your name. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. You are the first and the last, the beginning, the end, the Alpha and the Omega. We know the truth of your word is clear to those you've saved. It's very clear to us, and yet we find ourselves being distracted. We have this incredible opportunity you've given us to know and understand who you are through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 uh, the, the clear understanding from your word that is interpreted by the Holy Spirit that is in us, and we thank you that we have that, and yet we find ourselves straying, being distracted by the things of the world. I pray that that not happen today, that as we see truth, your truth from your word, that the ultimate result for us is worship, and that there should be an effect on our lives, there should be a change in our lives, even as believers, who've been believers for many of us for a very long time, I pray that we not get into a rut, that we rededicate ourselves as we should each day as we wake up, open your word, dedicate ourselves to you. I pray that that happens today as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, and we will be in verse 8. I'd made a promise to the elders yesterday, oh, I'm going to get through chapter 5. I guarantee it. I think I may have even used words like that. Had to confess this morning. Um, no, that's not going to happen. And I think it's okay because as I reworked this, my family was gone yesterday when I got home from our elder meeting and I had time on my hands. And so I reworked some of this and it's, it's going to add to it. But I think it's good. And here's why I think it's good. Here is a moment in time that we have to study that we should immerse ourselves in, and we should do that because we are future participants in this. But let me make a challenge to you. We should be current right now in this moment participants in this, right here in the moment, because we know that this is true. And as we were driving in today, and I was kind of discussing some of these things with my family, um, Hawk and my wife mentioned something about my brother who who um, and his wife, who have visited here, you, you've met, some of you have met them. Um, they had done a short-term missions trip to Zambia this year, and they mentioned something, and I had forgotten this, I just wrote it in here because they mentioned it to me, that when they went to different places within Zambia, and in one particular location where the, there, it was English-speaking, and it was an English speaker, this is the tradition that they had built there, when the word of God was preached and something fell that was true from God's word, instead of saying amen, those people said, that is true. This is true. And they would say that out loud. And I think that's just a fascinating thing. And I say that as I think about this because that is kind of what's happening here in this moment. What I'd like to do, and I'll just tell you, we will not, I will not be able to break down this entire passage today, but I would like to read 8 through 14 in its entirety, because it should be read that way, because this moment in time where we left off last week, the lamb was worthy, and he stepped up and took that title deed, took that scroll, as it, it'll be described, that book that was always in the hands of the Father. The Ancient of Days, as we think Daniel 7, and the Son of Man, he's standing there, and we now know the response so here's the kicker here, the response to the truth. 
resulted in worship. A very simple, very simple quote that I picked up from a big book. But worship is, a, is simply a proper response to truth. It's simple. I have a more detailed, even better description of that that, that we're going to break into here in a moment. But when we look at this passage, this proper response to truth, we are seeing this without anything distracting us, with a clear view, in a glorified state. What an incredible thing that will be with not having any hamperings of a sinful nature or a distraction of this world, no social media, no cell phones, nothing. What we will be is in the presence of the Almighty God and we'll see the Lamb, the the victorious Lion of Judah, and nothing will mar it. And what will be our proper response? This is true, and I'm going to worship because of it. I know this is true. Isn't this pretty amazing? And we haven't even read it yet, and I'm just telling you how cool this passage is. So I I think as this moment happens, we don't want to escape the moment. We want to read the passage as it is. So let me read it to you as well as I can. And remember, we're blessed when we hear this read. Remember that from, from the very first pages, very first verses of this, pass, of this book? Here's what it says. Chapter 5, verse 8. Let's pick it up where we left off last week. So I'll actually pick it up at 7 so we have a good transition. And he went, Jesus, and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the church... And the 24, excuse me, these angelic beings and the 24 elders, the church, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and and golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and in all all of them saying... To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. This is true. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Right? I could just walk off right now and I think we would embrace this and understand what a moment in time. But what I challenge you with is, this is yet future and you will be here and you will experience this beyond even our own comprehension now, but this is written for us today, right here, right now. We, Isaiah has sang a song, or led us in a song, that uh, I mentioned this to the elders yesterday, and I forgot to print it, so I asked my wife, can I borrow your phone? And this is, you know, not my thing, but let's just see if I can do it. The song, if you recall, is, for those of us who have sang it, you're probably thinking about this, is this, is he worthy? It's a question. Is Jesus worthy? And as we've gone through this, we understand that he is, but just let me remind you of some of these lyrics as we think about what we've studied from Romans and as what we've transitioned into 
Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then last week as we brought this into chapter 5 of Revelation, do you feel the world is broken? And we would say we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. We feel that. And by the way, what's so cool about this song, we haven't sang it in a long time, is that we don't say much. You and I don't say much. We respond with, this is true. Yeah, we do believe this. This is true. And we go through some of this, these despair sections. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. This is true. We want this. Is all creation groaning? We've studied this. It is. This is true. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light with, within our midst? It is, or he is. It is good that we remind ourselves of this. It is. It's good. This is true. And then we know the refrain here, and he actually quotes what we've studied. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of the Judah who conquered the grave. He was David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave, combining what we studied last week with what we'll study this week in the song, taking from this scripture. And then that question, is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? And what do we say he is? Gives me chills. We're not even singing this, and it gives me chills to think about this. Because what we're saying is, amen, this is true. This is true because of who he is. It, It gets me emotional to think about this. And so as we consider this, and before we jump into verse 8, what I'd like you to do with me is to understand this and get a broader definition of what true worship is for us now. I'd like you to go to Romans chapter 12. Just go to Romans chapter 11, and then we'll go to 12 later. But for now, Romans chapter 11. I will bring in Romans 12 later on. But go to Romans chapter 11. I'll bring this up on the screen just just so that you have the verses that we're going to focus on. As you turn there, let me kind of prime the pump. Romans chapter 11, as, as many of you know, is this commentary Paul does, a description of this partial hardening of the Jewish people who, who saw the Messiah. They, they, they saw the signs, and not just the, the leadership of Israel, not just the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the priests, even the people. They saw it, and many of them denied it. And there's this partial hardening, and this is to a benefit of us, because this now, this gospel goes out to, to the Gentiles. Everybody's sitting in here. And what an incredible thing that that is in God's plan, this partial hardening. And we know that the, Isra- the nation of Israel will be brought back into a right relationship. They will understand. But the culmination of this is where we're picking up. Where Paul is reminding us, the Gentile, of exactly who it is that saved us and what our response should be to that. Kind of like what we're talking about today. So Romans chapter 11, you should be there by now, starting at verse 33. So that's kind of what chapter 11 has been talking about, being grafted into this incredible thing. And look at how Paul concludes this section. Now the chapter breaks weren't there, and we'll we'll get into chapter 12 a little later today, or I'll at least bring in verse 1. But look at this. It's such beautiful writing, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how unscrutable his ways. Uh, We've talked about this with the elders yesterday in our study with other men, and then this morning even. The Bible references us being stupid a lot. (laughs) We, We aren't God. We don't understand. We don't think we are, but man, do we truly understand on this side of eternity 
who it is we're dealing with. And I, I would say, I would contend, we don't. But who understands this? How inscrutable is his ways. Verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift of it to him that he might be repaid? Here's the key, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. Only him, this is true, amen. That is true. To him, through him, for him, all of it. We can look at Colossians for a very similar wording here. I found an incredible quote on this, talking about true worship, and he'll reference this passage and others. But Steve Lawson does such a nice job of really bringing it to our face, doesn't he? Here's what he says, and I loved this. Why? Why should we give God? Why should we worship the Lord? Why should we do this? Why should we? Why are we going to do what we have already read in Revelation 5? Why should we do that today? Here's why. Why should we give Glory to God, because from him and through him and to him are all things, as we just read. When you understand that truth, you then give glory to God. Notice that same thing that we saw earlier, a response to truth. That is true. It's not created by mood music or elevator music at church. It's not about preferences of what kind of style music you like. That can add some octane to the tank, he said. But it's not what ignites it and it is driving it. It's the truth. You see where I'm going today? You shall worship God in spirit and in truth. His word is true, by the way. That's what's true. It is the truth of sound doctrine that ignites our hearts in worship for God. That's now. Yes, that's future. And we will have nothing hampering the truth when we're right there without that sin nature. And it's going to be amazing. And Maranatha, maybe this can start today. But God's calling you and I today to be like that. So as we go back to our passage, here's where we are. It says here, as we see in 7, the lamb who's worthy takes that scroll. He's worthy to take the scroll. And when he had taken the, the scroll, notice the reaction. The four living creatures and the 24 elders do what? They fall down. They fell down before the lamb. And I put this little side note in the bottom. This is what you do when you really know. When you really know. And we have some examples of that in the New Testament. When people really understood. And what's fascinating about what I'm going to show you here is somebody understood and responded properly. And others still understood and had the same reaction, but they still didn't want to worship. They still didn't want to bow down in worship. They bowed down, but not in worship. Here's where we see it. We see a couple examples of this same kind of wording. The Samaritan leper, not a Jew, a Gentile, an enemy of Israel from what most Israelites would think. You remember this account. Ten lepers were healed, but just one came back. And what was his response to what he saw? The God-man in front of him and what he did? Look at what it says. One of them, just one. When he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He was worshiping God. And he fell on his face because he really knew who he was dealing with. He knew. When you know. By the way, we got the word of God here. It's our responsibility to know him. He's given us an opportunity to know him. Our response, both figuratively and sometimes physically, should be to fall at his feet, giving him thanks. And it says, now he was a Samaritan, and he did that. That's you, by the way. You're, you're a Gentile, too. 
We have another example, very same language here. You know this story too. The woman who, who was so desperate, had this, this problem of bleeding throughout her life, and she just wanted to touch the hem of his garment. And he felt that power go, go out of him, and he, he knew something had happened. Look at this account. He says, and he looked around to see who had done it. Of course, he's God of the universe, remember, understanding this concept here. It isn't as if he didn't know, but this was for the situation. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth, connecting worship with truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. She knew who she was dealing with. And she fell down in worship. But it isn't just the believer. Look at this. Demons know too. They know who he is. Demons know who he is. We know this, this demoniac, the unclean spirits, these demoniacs when we saw them, they saw him. What do they always do? They fall down. I'll just give you two examples. They fell down before him and cried, you are the son of God. Do demons know the truth? You bet they do. You bet they do. What's different? What's different is they don't serve him. They don't worship him. They don't love him, and they don't desire to obey him. They are subservient to him, as is all creation, whether they know it or not. But they know who he is, because that's the truth. We know that this same thing happened in another example when he, and Jesus, he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? He knows who he's dealing with. He knows the truth, and his reaction is falling on his face. He knows. You think, okay, that's just demons and people there. No, it goes beyond that. The whole world will do this. The whole world will do this. We have multiple examples of this. The prophecy, which Paul taps into twice, which we are dealing with and John taps into here, of course, in Revelation, comes from this, Isaiah 45, 23. Jesus, honestly, speaking through Isaiah about himself. Never forget that the prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men in our study, we should know that, right? We should know that. That's something we memorize from, from 1 Peter. But here's, or 2 Peter. <laughs> we said, <laughs> I'm going to blame Jeffrey for that, but that's an inside joke. At any rate, we should know that, carried along by the Holy Spirit, who is one with Christ the Son, writing about himself, to me every knee shall bow. Who does that include? Everybody. Uh, that was an easy one for you guys. Everybody. Paul taps into this, as I mentioned, Romans 14, we see this, talking about why are we passing judgment on one another. We're going to stand in judgment it, it, in, in, of course, that we've discussed, but pick it up at verse 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every one. Believer or non-believer, every knee will bow. The reason for that is because people deny the truth someday, but they will at, at this judgment, the judgment, not just the judgment seat of Christ for the believer, we're going to know who the, who the true Messiah is because we put our faith in him. But the non-believer at at the great white throne judgment, will have no way to deny the truth because it'll be sitting right in front of them in majesty and in glory. And every knee shall bow to me, Jesus says. To me, Paul, quoting Jesus essentially from Isaiah. Paul does the same thing in Philippians 2, tapping into the same concept. God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Let me just pause on that for a moment. You see how... We're not going to get through very many of these verses, but this is so essential. 
This section here oftentimes is confusing because people think, okay, the name Jesus is above every other name. It's fascinating because as, as my wife was getting ready this morning, she had MacArthur on. Remember, I tell you, she gets better guys on there to get her warmed up so that she, I'm not such a disappointment. But, uh, but I felt good about this because MacArthur said the same thing I'm about to say, which confirmed that I, I'm on the right track here, but I probably got it from him, so, you know, it, Anyway, but here's the key. We oftentimes think that's the name Jesus, Yeshua. But I don't think so, because a lot of people had that name. Yeshua wasn't just exclusive to Jesus of Nazareth. What's the name that's above every name? It's the name Lord. Christ is Lord, Kyrios. And, and that is similar to the Old Testament idea of the sovereign ruler of all things. Back to our definition from Romans 11. Why is he worthy? Everything's about him. It's all about him, for him, to him, through him, all of it. That's the name that is above it. He's giving him that name. He is Lord. Christ has many names. He's worthy of all of them. But what I think here that, that every knee is going to bow is the whole world will know. He is sovereign, Lord, ruler, king of all, king of kings. He is everything. Remember how Paul talks about the Lord's return and our anxious, anxiously awaiting for him? I love this phrasing, when Christ who is our life appears. Our life, he's everything. Beautiful stuff. Amir kind of sums this up with this, and I like the way he puts this. The lamb was standing at the throne surrounded by the four living creatures and the elders. There were some unusual physical properties to the lamb. This is from verse 6. Lamb, seven horns, which represent his complete power. He's sovereign Lord. Seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, or the Holy Spirit. We see the unity of, 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 of the triune God here. Reaching towards the one who sits on the throne, the lamb removed the scroll from his hand. The place erupted. The wondrousness of seeing the son who has the Holy Spirit resting on him, receiving the scroll from the hand of the Father, dropped creatures and elders alike to the ground. The triune God united in person and purpose right before their eyes, spontaneously worship bursts forth. Yeah, that's what should happen. That's what should happen. So as we go into this moment, we're going to have some symbolism going on here, but it kind of starts pretty big. This is a big deal, and it's a big deal today because it's easy to look into this stuff in the future and say, yeah, that's going to be awesome. But you see, he's, he's that Savior now. Right? The victory's already won. He, he is currently all those things. This is yet future for us in our, in, in our timeline, but not in his. Not in his. He's outside of time. Before the creation of the world, this was true. And it's true for us as we think about worshiping him. But there were some other elements in here. So let me just slow down here just for a second, and let's break some of this down. Go back to Revelation chapter 5. If you're not there, if you're still in Romans, I'll go back there too. And if we look at this, it says, just to remind you of what we read in verse 8, and when they had taken the scroll, chapter 5, verse 8, four living creatures, the 25, they fell down before the Lamb in worship because they heard the truth, they know the truth, they've seen the truth. You and I see the truth too, and our response should be worship. But it says some things. It says they were holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So we have one defined for us, the incense, but then the harps as well. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's important. We see holding harps and these bowls of incense, these two things. So let's start with the harps. 
We see this in the Old Testament quite a bit. This was used in worship. We don't really use it today, although you could kind of say that a piano or a stringed instrument like a guitar is similar to that, and it is. And we use instruments in worship, so that is a big piece of this. So that's the first element. We see this in in the Old Testament that oftentimes when people were directed to or led to worship, instruments like a harp, harps are always mentioned, typically always mentioned in these scenarios, when there was an organized situation of worship. So here's two examples of that. We see this, and David, of course, being a uh, harpist himself, is that how you'd call it, a harpist? Yeah, I think so. Um, So that would be close to him as he writes some of these things. So we have an example of that in worship in the Old Testament that extends even into the New Testament. But there's more to that. They also accompanied prophecies, which is kind of interesting. As I studied this a little bit, I always thought of harps, well, it's just for music. It's just for accompanying worship, but it also accompanied prophecy, and this is the fulfillment of prophecy, which is kind of a cool connection. Just a side little note to this. This account from 1 Samuel 10 is from when Saul is first anointed king, and Samuel is telling him what's coming up next, and he's going to encounter these prophets coming down, and and when he does this, and he goes to Gabeth Eliam, and he sees this, he's, he's, there's going to be a garrison of Philistines. He's going to come across these prophets. And notice what it says. A group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. So in their situation, their prophecy was associated with this harp. So I think that's kind of an interesting connection. And then we see the same thing with David. So after Saul, we have David. And the the first two kings, we see the very same things. David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service of the sons of Asaph and Heman and Judithan, who prophesied with lyres, harps, and cymbals. So there's a connection to this. And I think maybe God's trying to tell us that this is a fulfillment of these prophecies. These prophecies that in many cases were associated with harps is now being fulfilled. Just a side note, just, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but that's just kind of interesting. What I think is even cooler is these bowls of incense. Okay, so let's look at that for a second. There was some, there was some symbolism going on in the temple with regards to the, the altar of incense. And we've looked at that before. I've spent a little bit of time on that in previous lessons, so I won't go back to the altar and bring up the schematic like I've done before and where that was placed and what it is. But you might remember me teaching about this that it was symbolic of the prayers of the saints, symbolic of the prayers of the Jewish people. But now we see that with the New Testament, as we've just read, that these are the prayers of the saints. So we see these, these, these fragrant, you know, waftings of incense that go up. There's no magic in them. They're symbolic of what's going on in the hearts of the believer. It's symbolic of what is that relationship between God and man. The, the man who is humble before the Lord, desiring to do the Lord's will, wanting to to have intercession with him, that is symbolic of that. So we see that. But I want you to notice that this extended even into the modern age of the New Testament, and we see this with Zechariah. They were praying outside when Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he has this opportunity to go into the temple and offer these these, this, at the altar of incense, this incense, the people outside were praying when this was happening because that was the real application to that, that we are praying and intercessing to our God. Now, how does that connect with things for us today? As we look at this, 
And if you look at that passage again, it says these are the prayers of the saints, prayers of the people. David kind of gives us an idea of this. Notice how David talks about this when he's, when he's praying to his God. O oh Lord, call upon, I call upon you, hasten to me, give ear to my voice when I call to you. Look at what he says. Let my prayers be counted as incense before you, like a sacrifice of praise, and the lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice. He's connecting these things to his prayers, and he's saying this is like incense coming up to you. I want my prayers to be a, a good fragrance, to be pleasant, to be good, which is why I think many, when we're talking about these specific prayers that we see in Revelation, we see it in Revelation 8, very similar things, smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, what we just read, these bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Well, which ones? If we look back at this text, these things, he wants them to be good I want them to be incense before you. Like, this is something that is, is your will. Remember, the, the things that we pray to the Lord, we pray in his will. We want what God wants. That's pleasant to him. When we pray, it isn't just, I want this, I want that, I want that. No, I want your will to be done. But when we, when we kind of look at this as I go forward, we have an example of, the, of Jesus Christ teaching his disciples how to pray. You'll remember this. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's about to happen as we break the seals here, as Jesus breaks the seals and he initiates the tribulation? What's the culmination of this? The kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. If we look at that, just that one little phrase and how Christ taught them, I think the prayers of the saints that he's referencing it primarily is this, that this happened. Remember, what are we doing here? We're responding to truth, and we're seeing this truth playing out finally. Because when we pray this, the kingdom's not here yet, is it? But we're praying for that. God's will hasn't been fully accomplished yet, but we're praying for that. What's in heaven is not on earth yet, but we're praying for that. We're hoping for that. And we're in this moment, and we're seeing it about to happen. You see? That's what I think the prayers of the saints. But it's beyond that. I think that's the primary thing. But there's more. If we look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I think this helps too. You could turn there if you want. I've got the passage up on the screen. And uh, if you want to turn there, you can, because I've got a little quote for you as we think of this. Uh, I kind of wrote this out and pieced it together with other things. I didn't put it up on the screen, but I think... It's also good to know, I think the primary reasoning for this prayer, or the focus of this prayer, isn't for the intercession for people, for needs, for people being sick, and, and, and uh, you know, for getting out of some sort of financial trouble. These things we can bring before the Lord, but these are prayers of thanksgiving. These are prayers of praise. These are prayers of honor, because we know God's will is about to be accomplished in its ultimate form, and and. This quote that I, I kind of just morphing into my own. The incense representing the worship of the redeemed offered to the redeemer. Knowing why we're there. It is worship because, as we're about to see here in our study, we were ransomed. And that's coming. Okay, that's coming. But that's probably what it's about. So if you think about that, knowing that going on here in this, this song that we're going to sing has to do about being redeemed and ransomed, if we look at, at 1 Timothy 2 and we look at this passage, notice what it says, okay? 
First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Look at how this culminates, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God. This is good incense. This, this, is, this is good. God likes to hear these prayers because look at his desire should be your desire. He desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, and so should you, and so should you. You and I should have that desire too. Remember the heart of Christ when he looked down upon it, uh, Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, if you would have, if you would have. Now, this is not saying that God is going to save everybody. We know that's not true. Biblically speaking, only those who by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone will be saved. But his desire is for all people to, to notice what it says, to be saved and come to the knowledge of what? What have we been talking about today? Truth. Truth. That's where true worship comes from is the response to the truth. He desires to be worshipped. The only way he gets worshipped is when we understand the truth. And his desire. But notice, he wants us to pray for that too. The prayers of the saints. When we look around, now I'm just trying to piece all this together for you. Kingdom come, will be done. That's, that's a big piece of this prayer. But we're going to look around at the redeemed. And we're going to see these prayers that we've been praying for people maybe for years. Maybe for years. My father-in-law prayed for decades for his father to be saved. And his prayer was, whatever it takes, Lord. And before he died, he put his faith in Christ. And he's going to see his father over there. And that prayer that he'd been giving and sending was good. God wanted to hear that. That was good and it was pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. The quiet, godly life, but the intercession, the thanksgiving, it was good. And he wanted to hear that and we see the fulfillment of it. Who have you been praying for? Whose salvation have you? You know that you can't save them. So what's your first move? You've got to talk to the, the God of the universe who does this that's on our wall. You've got to get him involved or you can't do anything. And we're going to see that. You're going to look around and see people who are saved because of the testimony of the gospel that maybe you got to share. Maybe you didn't, but you were praying for them. And those prayers are being fulfilled, the prayers of the saints. Do you think that that's part of this? I do. Because it's about being ransomed. It's about being redeemed. Romans 8, we see a very similar thing here. We know that this is that famous passage about how the Holy Spirit groans for us in, in our weakness, that, that Holy Spirit interacting in us, these groanings too deep for words. But let's pick this up halfway through. And, he, and it says this, talking about the Holy Spirit in our prayer, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Notice he mentions the saints here, the prayers of the saints, according to what? The will of God. You see how this is all connecting? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This is a passage people love to take out of context. They think, good? That's my good right now in the flesh. But what do we know is true? What's really good for me is the will of God being fulfilled in my life, and that may not happen, and we may not see that until we're in the presence of the Lamb right? And we know that that's true. That's going to work together for good. When you're sitting there in this moment in the throne room and you're looking at all the redeemed and you're part of the redeemed, there isn't one thing that will cross your mind to say, this isn't good. You'll say, this is more than good. It's perfect. It's great. And I cannot believe that I'm here. And what will be your response? Worship. 
These are things that are going to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's the good. We're going to see it all playing out. Remember, no sin. Nothing in this world to to distract us. We're going to see it as it is. And that's the prayers of the saints. We've been praying for that, right? Sometimes we don't even know how because we're so weak. The Holy Spirit is doing that. And we know that this is going to work out together for good. Beautiful stuff, right? You can see why I couldn't get through the whole thing. Okay, let's go to the next section here. Go back to Revelation 5. Look at what it says next. It says they sang. And it says they sang a new song. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but when we look at this, a new song, I added a subnote to this. It's a new song about a very ancient plan. It's a new song, but it's not a new concept. It's not a brand new thing. So we see it very clearly here. A new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And as we dig into this, we're going to see salvation is what this is all about. This idea of ransoming us, redeeming us, paying the price for us is what it's all about. And when we consider that, that's an incredible thing. Now, it's kind of a funny story I'm going to share with you here. I got from D.L. Moody in one of his sermons. So this is old, but, and he's referencing something that's even older than that moment in time, but he's, it's kind of a funny story. And the reason I'm going to bring it up is because of this. As we sit in this world today, and we, we are in the, the mire and the difficulty and the trouble of the fallen world, And we talked about how John struggled with that because he was halfway between the two and he was weeping because he was still dealing with that. We we sing songs about our troubles here. And they're good ones because we're we're bringing these intercessions or pleading with the Lord in some of these old songs, many of the hymns. And that's kind of the idea. But when we're in this moment, those will no longer be part of our vernacular. The troubles of this world... We won't be thinking about anymore. So keep that in mind as I read you this quote. It's a long one, but it's kind of cool for this. Peter McKenzie, this is D.L. Moody speaking of an older guy. Peter McKenzie, a Wesleyan preacher in England, was once preaching from the text, the text we're looking at. And they sung a new song. And he said, yes, there will be singing in heaven. And when I get there, I shall want to have David with his harp and Paul and Peter and other saints gathering round for a sing. And I will announce a hymn from the Wesleyan hymnal. (laughs) <laughs> Let us sing hymn number 749, My God, My Father, While I Stray. Mm, that's not going to happen up there. But someone will say, that won't do. You're in heaven. Peter, not Peter the Apostle, but Peter McKenzie. There is no straying here. And I will say, yes, that is so. Let us now use number 651. The waves and storms go o'er my head. But another saint will say, Peter, you're in heaven now. You forget that there is no storms here. Well, I, well, I'll try again. Number 536. I wonder if these are the actual numbers. I probably are. Into a world of ruffian scent. <laughs> Peter, Peter, someone will say, we will put you out. Now, that's not good theology, but unless you stop giving us inappropriate hymns, and then I will ask, well, what shall we sing? And they will say, sing the new song. What's that? The song of Moses and the Lamb. Mm-hmm. None of that trouble anymore. We can sing that song now, but you see, it'll be new in that situation because all the old has passed away. And our songs will be pretty focused on this incredible lamb that's in front of us. Isn't that neat? It's kind of a funny little illustration of that, but 
We see this, by the way, we see the new song concept in the Old Testament, Psalm 40. There are many examples of this. I'm going to give you a few of them in a moment here. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined me and heard my cry. He drew up from me the pit of destruction. Notice despair, difficulty, pain, suffering, all because of sin out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. This is a song of redemption, isn't it? He put a new song in my mouth. Because of that redemption, a song of praise to our God, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I think this is looking forward into this moment. But we see that in the Old Testament. Isaiah 42, we see something definitively into the future. Isaiah, very good about that in his prophecies. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them, tell you these truths. Notice it says, sing to the Lord a new song about redemption, because these new things are coming. All that old's passed away. His praise from the end of the earth, you who go down into the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and the inhabitants. This from a, the Beasley Murray. This is a, from 1967, I think. I like some of these old commentaries. Here's what he says about this. New song is a well-known expression in the Psalms, relating to songs sung in festal occasions, sub- celebrating new mercies from God, especially his deliverance from distress. There's a couple examples here. Psalm 40 we looked at. We didn't look at Psalm 98. It receives a deeper meaning in Isaiah 42.10, which we did read, where the new song relates to the new and greater deliverance, which the Lord is about to make in in the earth. And then there are several others there. This will be up on the website if you rewatch this at some point in time, wanting to go to sleep or something. Those are right there for you. But let's finish with this. Ransom people for God. Probably won't be able to get all of us. It'll be a good transition into next week, but I'm going to do my best here. This is the key to the whole thing. Why we are worshiping, what is the big truth, is that he was the only one who could do this. And the every tribe, language, people, and nation really should matter to you and me, because that's us. That's us. We are all here in America, which is the melting pot, but... Generally speaking, that is Gentiles, and praise be to God, he always had us in his plan. So as we look at this, I want you to notice, we've read this already, this is the ESV, we're just going to look at the middle of this because we've read it, by your blood you ransom people for God. Now the NASB that's in front of many of you, it says, purchase for God with your blood. That helps us understand this a little bit, that word, ransom, purchased, ransomed. Here's the Greek here and what it really means. And when we think about this, I took this from a few different definitions and then clumped them together. This, this particular Greek word, this is to buy back someone from bondage uh, or slavery by the payment of a price, a purchase, as we saw in the NASB, to set free by paying a ransom. Ransom was a technical term for money paid to buy back a prisoner of war. Well, does that kind of describe your sin nature and what Christ did for you? What you were trapped in, what you were in bondage to, and what you are now. And and look at what Jesus says about that, using the same word. Even as the Son of Man, Daniel 7, came not to serve, but to, to, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a what? A ransom for many. And what does that bring your mind to? What does Jesus say when it's all done? To tell us die. Paid in full. Paid the price. It's all done. And he did that for you and he did that for me. This is some truth that you will worship to un- unhinged. 
I mean, you are, it's going to erupt, as Amir said. It will erupt. But how did he do this? What is the reality? See, here's some common verses we know that I think it's important to end with. And I've got a great quote to finish us up here on this. Notice what Christ did for you, just to remind ourselves of truth. Remember that song that I, I, I shared with you that Isaiah has led us in? Is, that, is it good to remind ourselves of this? It is. It is. 2 Corinthians 5.21, remind yourself of this. For our sake, your sake, my sake, the sinner's sake, the one who couldn't save himself's sake, made him, him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the price that was paid. The sinless one became sin for us. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us. That's that same concept, redeemed, that same idea of ransom, paid us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. First Timothy 2, we looked at this earlier, but notice the end of it. He desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire, what the heart of the Savior is. Look at verse 5. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Remember, we connected this with the prayers of the saints, didn't we? The prayers of the saints directly connected to him ransoming us. Isn't that interesting that we have very similar language here as what we saw in Revelation 5 or see in Revelation 5? And now, here's where, here's where this has got to hit home for us. This is where it has to hit home. I find it fascinating that oftentimes when the Apostle Paul, and we're going to see the Apostle Peter do the same thing. We'll see Peter do it first. Well, not technically. Paul probably does it first. But in my notes, it's going to be Peter who does it first. Is when we think of that concept of ransomed, what Christ did for us, there should be then a reaction in the life of the believer. Notice what I'm talking about here. Let's go to 1 Peter. I got it up on the screen. This is really important to take us home today. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Okay? That means while you're here, conduct yourself in a holy, God-fearing way. Be a good example. Live life that is holy, honoring the Lord. Why? Knowing that you were ransomed. The price was paid fully from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with what? Just exactly what we're seeing there in full truth when we're in this moment in Revelation 5 with the precious blood of Christ. That should change the way you live your life, and I live my life. Let me tell you something. This was extremely convicting as I was studying this this week, and it's not just there. Paul does the same thing. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Notice what he does. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. The price was, it was a high price. The holy, perfect, righteous God of the universe took on human flesh. Philippians 2 gives us this clear understanding. Pastor preached on it a few weeks ago. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is what we are to do. And I told you, we're not just going to end with Romans 12 or Romans 11, Romans 12, 1. We know this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. You present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. King James says this is a reasonable act of service. It's, a re it's reasonable because you were bought with a price. This is your spiritual worship. And here's where we're going to end. This is a great quote. Spurgeon does better than I. So here's where we're going to end. And I want you to just resonate with this. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you because it's kind of small, but kind of large, but follow along. 
Here's what he says, and this is about true worship, and this just really culminates this for me. Let me do everything as in his sight. I was in, in outward form buried in baptism. I professed then to be dead to the world. Oh, let me try to be so. Let not its pleasures cheat me. Let not its gains enchant me. I profess even to be risen with Christ. Oh God, help me to lead a risen life. The life of one who is risen from the dead with Jesus Christ and quickened with his spirit. Now if that be your thought, that is true worship. That is real sacrifice to the Most High. When a soul desires to walk before the Lord in conformity with its vows and gracious obligations, I love that, gracious obligations, not with a view of merit, for it lays all its hope upon Jesus and finds all its merit there, but simply cries, I am his. And I wish to live as one that bears a blood-bought name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're worthy of our praise. We, we bear that blood-brought name. Christ once, redeemed. We should love to profess that, proclaim that. I pray that we live lives that are in line with that. That as believers, so many of us here put our faith in your Son and, and we are, are bought, we're washed. This is all true for us. And yet our lives don't reflect it. People don't know it. People can't see it. We live lives down here in misery and distraction and in shadow, not knowing what really is true. And when we do, when we remember it, and I pray that, and I confess that I don't always, and I'm sure others do too, we confess that to you. We know that when we do, and when your word is true in our lives, that's true worship, and our lives will then be sacrificed. And our lives will, will be representative of that kind of worship. I pray that that's true for us to, today. And for any in here who, who they don't even know what we're talking about. That this isn't true for them because they don't know you. You don't know them. I pray that today you'll stir in their hearts. And that by your grace, they can put faith in your son. And through his finished work on the cross, a perfect sacrifice. They can know the lamb. And they can know the lion, and they can know the Father, and they can know the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this can all be true for them. And I pray, if that is true, that we can enjoy that with them today. Be with us now as we go into hour number two, continuing to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.